Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, welcome to podcast episode 59. Today I am going to share part of a message that I like to share quite often when I preach or speak at churches. And as you've probably already seen, it is called This Was Not In My Plan. I hardly ever share my story here on the podcast, so for those who are new, I'm going to give a shortened version because some of this will make even more sense when you hear our story. When our daughter Becca was only three years old, she was diagnosed with bone cancer, and she went through nine months of chemotherapy, and at three years old, she had to have her little left leg amputated. Now, one of the chemo drugs that they gave her, they discovered years later, one of the long-term effects they didn't know about was that it caused heart damage. So she was tested, and she did have moderate heart damage. It wasn't bad enough to have anything done for quite some time, but as she got older, it did begin to cause some problems, and especially when she got married and became pregnant, it was a lot of pressure on the heart, and she was given a 50-50 chance of surviving her labor and delivery. She did live through that, and she gave birth to a beautiful little girl, and our granddaughter is still with us today, fortunately. But that did escalate Becca's heart condition. And so for the next 10 years, she was plagued with, with heart issues. And the last 18 months of her life, she actually was given a pump. It's called a VAD, a ventricular assist device that actually ran the left side of her heart for her. She needed to be put on the heart transplant list, but she wasn't healthy enough for that yet. And so they gave her this pump while they were trying to work with her to get her where she could even be on the heart transplant list. That last few months of her life, she had like a dozen ambulance rides. She had three medical helicopter rides, emergency rides. Uh, one of them was because of stroke. One of them, her heart did quit and they got it going again, but it left her in a coma with some brain issues. And it was just a really, really tough tough, hard time. And on October 12th, 2011, her heart finally gave out and she transferred out of this world and into heaven. So when that happened, it took me to this really dark place that I didn't even know existed. And I I had to fight my way out of it, and I would spend hours and hours. I had a little prayer room under our basement steps, and I would just cry and cry and cry, and and I would just spend time with God and, and just sob in His presence and talk to Him and just absorb His love and His comfort. And I mean, I even put a sleeping bag in there. I spent hours and hours in there. And during that time, I didn't know anyone who'd lost a child. And God started bringing people to me who had lost children as, as their children died. And they would hear about Becca, and, and they would contact me and say, help, I don't know what to do, I'm hurting, and, and I, I didn't <laughs> know either. And so I would just say, well, let's just walk this out together. 
And as that began to grow somewhat, our church had like your small life groups type of thing. And, and they suggested maybe we would want to have a small group for parents who had lost a child. And so we decided to go ahead and do that. And we had to have a name for it. So in just praying about it, it came out as Grieving Parents Sharing Hope with the acronym GPS HOPE. And from there, things just continued to grow. I woke up in the middle of the night with a book title and all these chapters running through my head. So I started writing a book. God brought a publisher to me. I didn't do anything about getting this book out there as I was writing it. And and God brought a publisher to me, met him, and he asked me to send him what I had. And Morgan James Publishing offered me a contract. And from there, I went on to write several more books. I wrote, I think it was five books in 13 months. It was just absolutely crazy. I look at that now, and I have no idea how I did it, except for the grace of God. And uh, I've written a couple more books since then. Anyway, all of that to say that this all began to grow. And as I began to go out and speak... My husband and I realized that this was something that God was asking us to do full-time with our lives. And he had lost his job after 27 years as an IT director, was laid off, corporate downsizing, all that stuff, and nothing was opening up for him. So we, by faith, stepped out into this ministry of GPS Hope. And here I am. (laughs) It just keeps growing and God keeps adding ways for us to offer resources and support. And we actually now live in a motor home that we call the Hope Mobile. We sold our house to our oldest son and we are on the road full time for GPS Hope. As we travel and as we speak, we actually have Becca's first prosthetic leg. When she was three years old, she has this little leg that was made for her to start using. And every year she got a new leg. And for whatever reason, I tucked that first little leg away. And it has become a symbol and an object that helps us help parents. Because when we lose our child, It's like a part of our very being has been cut off from us, and we have to figure out how to live with that part of us missing so we can compare our loss to an amputation. And Dave and I had a front row seat to our daughter growing up with only one leg and all that entails. One of the things that I realized as I started writing was that there's no word I know there's no word to describe the pain. There's just, there are no words to describe the pain that we feel when our child dies. But I didn't understand why there was no word for those of us who've lost a child, because we know what a widow or a widower is. We know what an orphan is. But there was just no word for us to just pull us together to say what what we've gone through. I mean, we have this instant connection, but there's no word for us. So that really bothered me, and and I I just started praying about it and just talking to the Lord about it. And one day I found myself just pulling out all kinds of words and looking up meanings and things. And I discovered that the word bereave comes from the root word reave, and that means a robbing, being torn, 
taken, something has been seized from you. And I thought, wow, that is exactly how I felt when Becca died, that I had been robbed of her life. She had been torn from me. And so that word reeve just really resonated with me. So what I ended up doing was putting a PA for parent in front of that. And I came up with the word pariver, who is a parent who's been bereaved of their child. And we now actually have that word pariver on little those little rubber bracelets that you can get. And it says pariver on one side and hope on the other side. So I may refer to us as perivers through this episode. And if that resonates with you, feel free to use that word as well. And if it doesn't, that's okay. I'm not offended. But when Becca was born, it was not in my plan for her to have cancer. It was not in my plan for her to have heart issues. And it was definitely not in my plan to have my daughter die at 29 years old. And as we're all very aware, we don't always get what we planned or what we wanted. And like I said, until Becca died, I didn't even know such suffocating darkness existed. And I started connecting, uh, reading books, and there was so much hopelessness and darkness out there. And I knew that my life would never be the same, but I couldn't come into agreement that it would always be dark and not worth living. And I refused to believe that this was now my full-time identity. I mean, I have four other children. I had two grandchildren. One of them was Becca's daughter at the time. I knew that I had a calling on my life. At the time, I was an international children's minister, and I traveled all over the world. I knew that I had the seed of hope, and I had life living inside of me. And I realized that God was not blindsided by Becca's death. And as horrific as it was, I just couldn't believe that the death of my child was where God reached his limits, and he was unable to help me work through that to be able to live again. In other words, something in me, I had hope. Somehow within the darkness, I knew that God was the only way out of that darkness. Without hope, we can't move forward. Colossians 1.27 says, God wants these great riches of the hidden truth to be made known. And the secret is this, Christ in you brings hope of all the great things to come. Now, it's easy for someone on the outside looking in to be able to see hope in someone else's future. But when you're the one on the inside trying to dig yourself out of a black pit that you were hurled into, hope is almost impossible to see, much less believe in. And for a grieving parent, it can be a long time down the road for hope to even become a glimmer of possibility. Not just a few months, but it can even take years for some parents. And hope is definitely not something that can be forced onto another person. But that's one reason that we're here for you, to offer you a lifeline of hope and to be that hope for you if you don't have your own right now. And it's only by the grace of God that I'm able to do this to the degree that I do. 
God's plan is to bless. I know it may not seem like that, but it is. Jeremiah 29 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, this is one of those verses that we can have a hard time with because it's like, what do you mean not to harm me? My child died. Now, somewhere I heard or read the words that spiritual blessings come wrapped in trials. And I wrote a note saying the loss of a child is an awfully deep trial to wrap a blessing in. That was hard for me to to receive that, to believe that. And I heard in my heart God's unexpected answer. And when I had written down the loss of a child is an awfully deep trial to wrap a blessing in, I heard the words, I know, because my son died and it was wrapped in the blessing of you. Think about that. God knows about how deep trials can be, but that blessings can be wrapped in those deep trials because he, his son, The trial he went through in watching his son die a horrible, torturous death was wrapped in the blessing of you. So my plan became to receive those blessings. And I I decided I was going to be like Jacob who wrestled with that angel. And he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That's how I really, I took that to the Lord. And it was the same thing. God, I am not going to let you go until somehow there are blessings that come back into my life. And I discovered that there are keys that will help this to happen. And we have to find the keys that open the doors of truth that begin to make a shift in our perspective. It's like we can look through a keyhole and we might be able to see the blessing. Some of us can't even see them, but sometimes we can look through the keyhole and it's like, "Mm, I think there's something over there somewhere, but we have to find the keys to unlock these doors for our blessings because we really are still blessed by God. There are blessings for you yet to come. The first key that I feel is so important is the key of forgiveness. Now, in that book that I mentioned, When Tragedy Strikes, I wrote a chapter on that. The book, the subtitle is called Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing After the Death of Your Child. And I told you God gave me these chapter titles, and this book ended up being like rebuilding a house that's been destroyed and rebuilding it room by room. And so the very first thing that God had me write about was laying the foundation of forgiveness because everything else builds on that. And as a parent who's lost a child, we have so many people we need to forgive. Who are some of these people we need to forgive? someone directly or indirectly involved with the death of your child, your child for leaving you, whether it was intentional or some sort of an accident or just being angry that they're that they left before you did this earth. How about yourself needing to forgive yourself or people who have hurt you in the grieving process? God, right? 
or maybe someone who's not grieving like we think they should be grieving. If you, you know, a spouse or something, we don't, we're hurt by the way they're grieving or not grieving. Unforgiveness paralyzes us. And like I said, there are so many people that we need to forgive. And the thing is, I hear people say, I can't forgive them. But that's only true if you're unwilling to forgive. Now, I know at the very beginning, especially when there was just a senseless death and somebody caused that death, a drunk driver texting behind the wheel, just a, a murder, something like that. I, I understand that it's not in you to forgive. I understand the pain and the, the senselessness of it is beyond what can be forgiven. So there's grace for that. There is grace for that. But as you go along, there comes a time where you begin to make choices and you can choose to forgive because saying I can't forgive, it's like I said, it's really only true if you're not willing. I won't forgive. And there's so many reasons for that. When you don't forgive, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's toxic to you, not the person that you refuse to forgive. Forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for you. It's a gift that you give yourself. It's kind of like the chemo that's needed to stop the cancer that's eating at your soul. And forgiveness is not based on a feeling. It's based on a decision. It's not based on whether that person deserves it. It's based on I need to forgive to set myself free so that I can begin to move forward in a healing that will allow me to live life again. And I want to say here that God did not do this to you. The enemy set a trap and God wants to set you free from that trap. And I believe when it comes to forgiveness that we need to use the power of our words. When we speak things out loud, there is something there that solidifies and it, it just, there's something, it takes it to another level of helping us to, to do what needs to be done when we go beyond just thinking it, but actually saying it. Now, because I feel so strongly about this area of forgiveness, if you are fairly new to this podcast, you may not know that the very first eight podcasts are about the topic of forgiveness. The first one is just talking about forgiveness in general. And then we go into the different people that we need to forgive. Each episode is on a different person. And the last two, episodes seven and eight, are on forgiving God. Along with that, I wrote down prayers that you can pray out loud. And you don't have to use these, but sometimes it helps if we have something in front of us to give us the words that need to be spoken. So if you would like to have a copy of these words, if you go to episode six of the podcast, just scroll down and you'll see a little box there where you can put in your name and your email address, and we will send you those prayers that you can pray out loud. Forgiveness is a process. Saying it once probably isn't going to do it. It's something that we have to choose to do over and over again. I really hope that you go and listen to those podcast episodes on forgiveness because there's so much there and I really want to see you set free in this area. 
Now, forgiveness is just the first one of several keys, but I am going to stop here for now, and I'm going to share the rest of the keys next week. Before we wrap this up, though, I do want to say that our scars, our wounds, the scars that we have from our child being amputated from us, we're never going to forget, but they don't mean that we're not going to be able to function ever again. When I was around three years old, I got my ankle caught in the spokes of a bicycle, and it ripped out a bunch of skin, and I actually ended up with staph infection. And I remember coming up to visit cousins and relatives, and I had to watch everyone else go swimming. I got to dangle one foot in the water while everybody else splashed around and went swimming and had fun. Now, I totally recovered, but I still have a scar on my ankle, and I always will. When my husband Dave was only 48 years old, he ended up having quadruple bypass surgery. It was a shock to all of us that he needed it. And his recovery took a long time, and he still has some effects from it. He's got permanent scars reminding us what he went through. He's got medication he's going to have to take for the rest of his life. There are things, you know, that it, it still affects him. Now remember Becca's amputation that I talked about at the beginning? The scar on her stump from her missing leg is a lot like the emotional scar that we carry when our child's been cut off from us on this earth, a whole lot more than the scar on my ankle or on Dave's chest. But the comparisons don't stop at the scar of the injury. Did staph infection in my ankle keep me from ever swimming again? Mm -mm, no way. I love to swim and to be in the water, especially in warm places with beautiful beaches. Did having an amputation keep Becca from running and playing with the other children? No, it did not. It may have slowed her down. It caused her to adapt how she ran and how she played, but it certainly did not stop her. Becca lived a very full and fulfilling life with only one leg. And now the question is, does the death of our child mean that our life is over and we will never be able to live a full life again? No, it doesn't. We need time to go through, I'll call it the recovery process for lack of a better word, and we need time to learn how to function with our child no longer here, but it doesn't mean that we will never be able to function again. We're going to go through times when everyone around us is splashing and playing and we're not able to, to join in because of our wounds. We'll go through times when we just can't function and we have to wait for more healing. We're going to go through times when we have to adjust the way we do things. We will forever bear the scar of our amputation, of our child being cut off from us here on earth. We we'll always have reminders that that part of us is missing, but we are not permanently injured to the point of being out of commission for the rest of our lives. If you are in the first one to three years of grief, this may sound impossible, but I am here to assure you that it isn't. And just like me, I had the seed of hope living in me, and you have the seed of hope living inside of you. And so, just like I learned how to nourish that seed of hope to let it grow in me, you can do the same thing. This may not have been part of your plan, but God still has a plan for your life. So stick with us here at GPS Hope so we can walk it out with you and be the light and the hope that you need until you have your own.
I don't know if you're someone who likes to read about how other parents have gotten through the worst part of the darkness after the death of their child, and if you are, I just want to share a little bit. I mentioned that book that I have written, When Tragedy Strikes, Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing After the Death of Your Child. It has actually won a couple of awards, and I just want to read one quick endorsement of the book. This was from Daryl Scott. And he says, Laura's book, When Tragedy Strikes, will squeeze tears from your eyes and put a smile on your face as she writes about her beautiful daughter, Becca, and the process she experienced from pain to purpose. Having lost my own daughter at Columbine in 1999, I understood the sorrow of unimaginable loss. This is a book that should be read by everyone who has experienced the loss of a loved one, especially a child. And Daryl Scott, I don't know if you remember back in Columbine, Colorado, the high school shooting. It was one of the very first mass shootings in a school. And Daryl Scott's daughter, Rachel Scott, was in that shooting. So with that, I just want to let you know that you can purchase this book through any bookstore, including Walmart, or uh, just look up When Tragedy Strikes by Laura Deal. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you like to get books, including your local indie bookstore, they can order it for you. So if you're interested, please go ahead and check that out. And so with that, let's go ahead and get on to our birthday segment. First... We have Riley Whitehead. Riley was born on June 3rd, and he is forever 19. And then we have Aaron Page. Aaron was born on June 6th, and he is forever 21. We celebrate with these two families the day that they came into this world and into these families' lives. We would love to celebrate with you the day your child came into this world. So if you would like to have your child's birthday shared with the other listeners, you can go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. There'll be a form there. Just fill in the information, send it in, and I would be honored to add your son or daughter to our birthday segment and announce their birthday the week that you are celebrating. Forgiveness is just the first key to help unlock truths that will help you change your perspective and help release you from the darkness and the heaviness of your grief. I have several more to share next week, so I hope you join me again to find out what those are. Until then, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.